electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Hi, everybody. I'm Kelly Evans. Here's what's ahead this hour. Stocks are taking a breather today after back-to-back strong gains that helped close that gap from the recent sell-off. Small caps, though, are still lagging the rest of the market this year. We have four names that are good buys right now. Plus, shares of ChargePoint lower after a wider-than-expected loss. The EV stock is actually down 30% since going public back in March. The CEO joins us to talk earnings, expansion plans, and the infrastructure bill. And games, fashion, and canned pork will bring you the action, the story, and the trade on GameStop, Rent the Runway, and Hormel. That's in today's earnings exchange. It's back. But first, we begin with the markets. Dom Chu is here with those numbers. By now, everybody on this show and maybe even the viewers out there know how much I love spam. So anyway, hat tip to the Shepard Smith show for that. Uh, Let's talk about the mixed markets right now. Kelly mentioned pause. It is a pause right now. Two strong days worth of gains. Mixed market with the Dow underperforming down roughly one to two tenths of a percent. The level in the S&P 500 hovering just around 4690 right now. So we're just about flat on the day in the Nasdaq composite 15734. That's up about one third of one percent. So, yes, outperformance, but not a huge amount of it with regard to that Nasdaq trade right now. One place that has seen some very strong momentum in the short and medium term has been in the home builder segment, believe it or not. Check out this particular ETF, the iShares U.S. Home Construction ETF, ticker ITB. It's up another three quarters of a percent right now, 47 percent year to date. But look at just the last couple of months, even with the threat of a possibly slowing economy due to the Omicron COVID variant and the threat of higher interest rates from the Fed hasn't seemed to take a lot of the shine or sheen off of this particular trade with home builders and home construction stocks. Watch those. And by the way, Lennar, DR, Horton and NVR, some of the big home builders making record highs in today's trade. And then moving in the opposite direction. I don't know if it was because of the COVID pandemic, different retail type trends, developing shopping type trends, but Stitch Fix, online retail for clothes, subscription-based. They sent it to you in a box, a curated set of clothing. Stitch Fix is down 23%. Results came out after the closing bell last night. Believe it or not, the profit slash loss numbers were better. Revenue numbers were better than analysts' expectations. But it's some of the slowing growth momentum in this particular stock among users. They cut their revenue forecast for the full year. So take a look at Stitch Fix, Kelly, down 23% right now. And I would point out 67% on a year-to-date basis. It's pretty much been almost a straight line lower over the course of this past year, Cal. Back over to you. Very difficult trade for them. Dom, thank you very much. The market shrugging off more broadly speaking. That Pfizer news that we got today that its booster shot provides increased protection against Omicron. Dow's down 50 points right now. Let's bring in Bob Bassani. He's down at the NYSE. Bob, this was priced in already or what do do we just have too strong a rally leading into it? Well, yeah, I mean, Fauci was right on Friday. It turned out he was prescient. I mean, look, this is great news overall, and this is what we get, this crummy market. But again, it's anticipated that efficient market hypothesis. Look at the futures, 645 roughly this morning, Eastern time, we got the news. We moved 20 points immediately. There's that little pop-up. And then immediately we moved down again because people sold right into it. Why? Because we already had the rally the last two days since Dr. Fauci spoke. It's Friday night. 
uh, of course, talking about that he was optimistic about uh, the potential for uh, treatments on Omicron, the market moved up 170 points in the last couple of days before. That's like 3%. That's a huge move up in the overall market. So the important thing is trying to figure out, is Omicron manageable or not? And that's what the market has come to believe, that Omicron is manageable. What does that word mean, manageable? Look at the S&P 500, that pop-up. What does the word manageable mean? Well, the important thing is it implies that we could be seeing peak supply chain and inflation concerns essentially peak over the next few months. What does that mean? Well, it means that all these concerns about margin erosion and higher costs throughout the whole of 2022, that may fade in the next several months, may fade. And most importantly, there may be less concerns about the Fed being more aggressive to combat the higher inflation. The key to understanding the market right now is the strong economy, what we've got. Look what we have here. So remember, traditionally, when the Fed raises rates, it's bad for the markets, but it's usually accompanied by a declining economy, a recession. But we're not having that. There is no recession. It's the opposite of a recession. That's why things are holding up so well. The bulls are insisting that the stock market's going to hold up because we have the great economy, a great consumer, and we can handle rate hikes. And Kelly, the question here is, how many rate hikes can we handle? We're at 25 basis points for the Fed, uh, the Fed rate right now, if they go up 25 more, 25 more, all right, that's only 75 basis points. That's still a pretty small number overall when you have a great economy. Kelly, if we were going into a recession right now and the Fed was talking about raising rates, forget about it. We would be 20% lower probably in the stock market, but we're not in that situation. And now, Kelly, the big debate for 2022, if they're right about this Pfizer data and we get more confirmation, how strong is the consumer going to remain in 2022? We're yeah. going to pivot to that question very, very quickly. But even more uh, sort of coming up next week, Bob, we're talking about whether the Pfizer news was priced in. Is the quicker taper already priced in? What's the expectation there? Well, again, this goes back to how much is a rate increase? Historically, Fed starts moving up, aggressively raising rates, and you have a poor economy, killer of bull markets. Here, we're talking about very slow raising rates and probably stopping. Nobody's talking about going to 4% on a Fed funds rate. They're talking about maybe going to 1%, 75 basis points. When you've got a super strong economy like this, it's likely the market can handle it and any higher potential inflation at that level, you can pass it on to the consumer. It's when things get out of control when you're talking about, are we at permanently 6% inflation a year? No, that's a big problem. But nobody, they're starting to believe that that's not really going to happen. So again, how much, is the, how much are you going to increase? If you're going to 50 basis points, that's not a lot in a strong market, and you're still 1% or below on the Fed funds rate. All right, Bob, thank you. Bob Bassani down okay. at the NYSE. Let's flip over to the bond market right now. We saw the 10-year above 1.5% today. We just had a 10-year auction. Rick Santelli, how'd it go? You know, it went pretty much average. I gave it a C, a hook. Very average. Charlie C. Why? Well, we had $36 billion of reopened 10-year notes. The yield, one518 Really, that's the most negative part of the whole auction because the one issued market was trading about 1.51%. So it tailed about, you know, seven eighths of a basis point. That is never good. And that's what 
basically kept it from moving to a higher grade because all the internals were pretty good. Bid to cover looked a little light against the 10 auction average at 243, but that's only because the trending of the bid to cover has been higher of late, as are all the metrics. And even at 68.8 for Indirect, that is a very solid foreign bidding there. The direct bids were solid. Everything about it was good. You see we're at 151, up three basis points. Now, here's what's interesting. Let's look at a two-year note, just for the heck of it. Two-year note right now is at 67 basis point, just switched to 68, up one. The point is, is that we actually have curves steepening today. Short maturities aren't as aggressive on their yield increases as they've had been. The long end taking that place. And it comes at a day where equities aren't firing on all eight cylinders. The timing of these two markets doesn't seem to be in the same frequency. Suffice it to say... Bob's right. Many in the fixed income market are looking at what's pricing in yields. They're looking at what's pricing in Fed fund futures, looking at stocks and scratching their heads. Kelly, back to you. (laughs) We'll have more on that next hour. Rick, thank you very much. Rick Santelli. The Russell 2000 small caps have been lagging the other major averages this year. But our next guest says there are big opportunities. Nancy Pryle is co-CEO and senior portfolio manager at Essex Investment Management. Nancy, welcome back. Are you worried about, I mean, the underperformance may be there, you know, it's a couple of percentage points. It's there, but it's not, it's not that bad. What would you make of it, broadly speaking? Exactly. We think this is very normal behavior in a small cap bull market where there are pauses. There are times when small caps have to catch their breath. What we do know about the small cap sector is earnings growth has been better than in the large cap sector and valuations are lower. In addition, we are seeing a tremendous amount of innovation that should benefit not only small cap growth, but actually some of the small cap value areas where we're seeing innovation in areas that are not necessarily traditional areas like EVs driving industrials um, to multi-year outperformance. So we are very bullish on small caps, and we think that next year, particularly with somewhat higher interest rates and a little bit higher inflation, will be a very good backdrop. Let's just look over the past month, the 7% decline that we've seen in the Russell. The broader market's Mm -hmm. just about flat. What primarily accounts for that? Is that just a, a, is there something specific going on there? No, this was really just a rotation. As you know, the beta on small cap stocks is higher. So as the market has paused, digested the multiple worries of would we have a budget crisis or would they be able to pass the continuing resolution, which they've done, Would we um, be able to deal with the debt ceiling, which it appears that they've done? What's going to happen with COVID and Omicron? We've had very good news today from Pfizer that makes it look like Omicron will not be as big an issue as we expected. That has been um, translated into some extra volatility in small cap. In addition, this time of year is when we traditionally see tax loss selling. We don't think this year has been any different. And so that's depressed the averages. However, coming into both our traditional Santa Claus rally at the end of December, as well as the first quarter. That tends to be a seasonable pattern that very much favors small cap stocks. We don't see this any differently. We mentioned that you have four stocks in particular you think that would be good buys right now. Meritor, uh, that's kind of in the trucking space. Mm -hmm. Upwork, which is probably the biggest of the group, and we've obviously uh, spoken with their CEO on this program a few times. ViewRay, which does radiation technology for treatment of cancer, and Castle Biosciences. So the last couple in particular, maybe more in that biotech space, which has been a real struggle Mm -hmm. this year, hasn't it? It has been, and that's part of why we are very bullish on healthcare going forward. Healthcare has been a real hard place to be, particularly recently, as investors have worried about 
COVID. They've worried about the rate of hospitalization and what that is crowding out of other treatments, other um, other areas. However, what we are seeing, particularly in names like Vuray and Castle Biosciences, is an incredible revolution in treatment for cancers in particular. Vuray has machines called Meridian, which are used to give radiation treatment for cancers. They've had excellent results of significant improvements in longevity for pancreatic cancer patients, and they're seeing very good placement. Castle Biosciences is using data and AI to identify skin cancers early so they can be treated. Very interesting. And I take your point, you know, when people are looking for innovation, the Russells are often one place to find that with the next Mm -hmm. gen of up and coming companies. Nancy, thanks for your time today. Thank you. Nancy Pryle from Essex Investment Management. Still ahead, shares of ChargePoint lower 3 to 4% today after reporting a wider than expected loss. But they raised their full year outlook as they continue to expand and add stations. We'll speak to the CEO exclusively next. Plus, earnings exchange is back today with a look at GameStop, Rent the Runway, and Hormel ahead of their quarterly reports. We've got the action, the story, and the trade ahead of those results. Don't go anywhere. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Welcome back, everybody. Got a market flash on Roku, which just jumped to session highs after reaching a multi-year agreement with Google to carry YouTube on the platform. As Roku tracking for its best day since September of 2020 with a 17.3% gain today, although it still remains down almost 25% so far this year. But again, a significant agreement with Google to carry YouTube. Markets more broadly speaking right now have the Dow up 121 at the highs, but now down about 62 points. S&P up by three, NASDAQ hanging on to a 50-point gain today. Across sectors, communication services and energy are leading. Financials, utilities, and staples are lagging. And here are some of the movers this hour. Cruise lines are once again leading the S&P, along with United Airlines and Las Vegas Sands. You can see the impact of Pfizer's news on its booster shot helping with Omicron earlier today. Meantime, J.P. Morgan is out with its top stock picks for next year. In the growth category, it likes Amazon, Apple, Disney, Honeywell, and PayPal. In the value space, AbbVie, Allstate, GM, Lennar, and Qualcomm among others. For the full list, head over to cnbc.com slash pro. Finally, Sentinel-1 is falling despite a strong earnings beat. The stock getting a slew of price target cuts today. And Jim Cramer points out in his newsletter that tomorrow is the company's IPO lockup expiration, which means more shares on the market. And there may be questions about its valuation. It's nearly 40% off its recent high. It's down 
10% today. For more of Jim's insights, sign up for the CNBC Investing Club newsletter, point your phone's camera at that QR code on the screen, or go to cnbc.com slash investing club. Coming up, the head of Instagram speaking before Congress next hour on protecting children online. Behind the scenes, a parent company Meta is in the midst of an executive exodus. We'll look at the fallout with shares on pace for their best week since July. And there's a live look at the House hearing on digital assets, where crypto execs are testifying on the challenges and benefits of cryptocurrencies and stablecoins. The CEO of Circle is among those testifying, and we will speak to him on this show ahead. Stay with us. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production. And they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. How do you land your dream job? It starts by acing the interview. Learn exactly what hiring managers are looking for with CNBC Make It's new career-boosting online course. Get the limited-time offer. Register now at cnbcmakeit.com slash courses. Welcome back. Shares of the EV charging network ChargePoint are dropping after a wider-than-expected loss today. They're down just under 3%. They did increase revenue 79%, but their total loss is about $69 million, were nearly double from the same period last year. Shares are down more than 30% since that SPAC merger in March. Still, they increased revenue guidance and should see a boost from the $7.5 billion earmarked for EV charging in the infrastructure bill. For more, let's welcome in Pasquale Romano. He is the president and CEO of ChargePoint. His company was a CBC Disruptor 50 and is now in our new CNBC Next Gen 50 index. So congrats, Pasquale. Welcome. Thanks, Kelly. Thanks very much for having me. You know, I was looking back over the stock performance. It really ran into the end of last year. And I wonder if this was just one of those show me years where, you know, you kind of priced in a lot of the excitement and then you get a lot of good headlines this year, but investors are already looking for, you know, maybe better bottom line uh, results, for instance. Um, we've been, we've been uh, guiding uh, uh you know, pretty accurately on our on our top line. In fact, we're beating guidance uh, on uh, on on revenue. We've uh, raised guidance for Q4, and we've set expectations that, from an opex perspective, we're in investment mode. This is a massive market, uh, and we're in investment mode, and 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 we expect to uh, glide slope to profitability uh, uh, in in time. Uh, but we we don't want to squander the lead we have in this market. So we're we're investing heavily to take share. Could you tell investors when to expect that inflection point so they can all get in at the right moment? You know, when is the, when are the shares going to start to hear from you? Yeah, and, and obviously they want you to be in investment mode to kind of be in the lead in the long run. But when do you think the narrative is going to start to change? I think when people start understanding how the industry actually works, Kelly. I think there's I think there's there's quite a bit of noise out there right now, and it's just going to take a while for investors to understand how companies like what how to judge companies like ours. And what would you say, you know, when we talk about you guys as an EV charging network, and obviously as the space gets more crowded, what differentiates you from others? Uh, well, first of all, uh, we've been in, the indus- in this industry for 14 years. Uh, so breadth of product line, uh, amount of, of capital raised as a pre-public company, 640 million in paid in capital as a pre-public company. And then obviously the proceeds from the IPO. Um, um, uh, significant operations in two continents, uh, operating in every vertical of, of EV charging that we can think of anyway. So breadth of product line, breadth of 
sales reach, breadth of channel, breadth of everything, uh, ability to handle scale. Uh, all those things are things we think significantly differentiate us. Let's talk about profit margins, which were better than some analysts expected, and, and that was with a headwind from supply chain issues. Is that right? Um, what's profitability likely to look like for the next couple of quarters? Uh, well, we're continuing to uh, uh, improve margins. Obviously, that's uh, more of a challenge in a supply chain constrained environment because assurance of supply uh, limits the velocity with which you can make changes in your supply chain. Uh, you can't have it both ways. Uh, and uh, as you've seen, uh, we're, we're <clears throat> meeting or exceeding the high side of our, of our revenue range, which means we're really stressing uh, our supply chain. Rising to the occasion, of course, is our ops team and our engineering team making that all happen. Uh, but, uh, um, you know, our, our margin performance as a result um, is a little behind where we expected uh, in a non-supply chain constrained environment, but we're continuing to make margin improvement on top of having uh, what the world would consider one of the worst supply chain environments that, yeah. that it's ever seen in recent history. Absolutely. So let's close talking about the subscriptions that you are experiencing. You had some decent year-on-year growth there. I mean, is that going to be a really important part of you know, the company's strategy and obviously to investors maybe the valuation and the multiple over time? It is the company's strategy, uh, period, full stop. Uh, we do not sell hardware without a subscription to a cloud service associated with the services the customer wants to deploy in their parking lot. So we are a cloud service. We are a SaaS company through and through. Uh, we happen to have to have the delivery vehicle, which is a physical charger in the parking lot. But we are a SaaS company through and through. Understood. Pasquale, thank you for your time today and for joining us to talk about it. We appreciate it. Thanks so much, Kelly. Pasquale Romano of ChargePoint. Let's get to Rahel Solomon now for a CNBC News update. Hi, Rahel. Hi, Kelly. And here's what's happening at this hour. We begin in California, where some lawmakers want to make California an abortion sanctuary in case that the Supreme Court overturns Roe versus Wade, the decision that prohibits states from outlawing some abortions. A proposal in the state legislature would possibly provide aid to people coming to California for an abortion. And on the news tonight, what Texas is and is not doing to prepare for another deadly cold blast this winter. That's tonight at 7 Eastern. In Virginia, a Navy SEAL commander has died from injuries he sustained during a training accident. Commander Brian Bourgeois fell while fast roping down a helicopter. The cause of the fall is being investigated. Canada, the latest country to announce a diplomatic boycott of the Beijing Olympics. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says that Canada is very concerned about the human rights situation in China. And Tiger Woods making his return to tournament play. He says that he'll be playing next week in the PNC Championship with his 12-year-old son, Charlie. An official event that Paris family members will be the first tournament for Woods since a car crash 10 months ago that badly damaged his right leg. Here now up to date, Kelly, I'll send it back to you. Rahel, thank you so much. Coming up, games, fashion, and spam. We'll bring you the action, the story, and the trade on GameStop, Rent the Runway, and Hormel. Earnings Exchange is next. 
Welcome back. It's time for Earnings Exchange, where we give you the action, the story, and the trade on three names set to report results. Today, almost one year after the meme craze, we're starting with GameStop. It's been relatively stable in the second half of the year. Shares are still up 850% year-to-date, and of the few analysts that still cover the stock, none of them gives it a buy. Now, GameStop has reported a profit in just one of the past six quarters. So what do we expect? What do we even look for with tonight's report? Here with the story is Frank Holland. Delano Sapporo has our trades. He's our founder of New Street Capital and a CNBC contributor. Welcome to both of you. All right, Frank, GameStop, what are we watching? All right, Kelly, you know, analysts have uh, the consensus that GameStop's going to lose 52 cents a share. I spoke to one of the few analysts that covers GameStop, Michael Pachter from Wedbush. He's actually more optimistic. He says a loss of 40 cents a share, but he says it doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is CEO Ryan Cohen's transformation strategy. And if we're finally going to get some details on it, he says he feels it's very unlikely. Another thing to watch, a lot of people on Reddit talking about they have diamond hands with the stock. Well, video game sales, they're really spiking this holiday season. They're up big so far in early shopping, six times over what they were pre-holiday shopping. And some analysts tell me the question is, are those people with diamond hands, they're going to have cash in hand and really buy an Xbox? Are they going to really buy a PS5 from a GameStop and help this company out? Or is it more about being on Reddit and kind of fight the short sellers? That's the real question here when it comes to this stock. Also, the transformation strategy. One thing a lot of people haven't covered is that GameStop recently took out an asset-based loan of $500 million. So the question is, what is their plan to pay back that money? If they're not able to pay it back, they could lose those physical assets that we're all talking about, whether it's stores or video game controllers. Interesting. So Delano, how long are people likely to to (laughs) keep those diamond hands on this stock and hold uh, hold the shares up at the price level they're still trading at? Yeah, it's interesting. Those diamond hands might be a little bit, uh, the shine might be taken off a little bit. If you look at the, over the past six months, 40% uh, given away from the stock. So, uh, but if you, obviously, as you mentioned, look at over the past 12 months, almost 10x your money, uh, which for, for the people that were in early on the stock probably love. But, you know, the, bit, the big part of this is the bad news flow that's come out recently. Obviously, you saw that the Fed came out and said that there might be issues with some meme stocks. And you're also seeing, as Frank mentioned, the supply issue. I think there's also a big demand for these new consoles, specifically PS5, which I know it's hard to get personally. Yeah. Um, and if GameStop has issues with supply, that might be an issue uh, when you talk about the top line. But valuation-wise, if you look at the price action, 3x time sales, nearly 3x time sales, that's not horrible for the price action we've seen. I'm out of stock just because of volatility, but it'll be interesting to watch via earnings, Kelly. Yeah, we're still at 175. Frank, a final word here? I mean, I really think Ryan Cohen, what he says on the call is really the key. The company actually stopped reporting same store sales, which would give you some insight to see if that transformation strategy is really working, if people are coming back to the store. Hmm. But his uh, commentary on whether or not there really is a strategy, what that strategy is and how he plans to move it forward, really the key there. All right. Great point, Frank. Thank you very much, sir. Frank Holland. Next up, it's Rent the Runway's first report as a public company today. And analysts are bullish, with all nine rating the company a buy. Shares are down 40% since the October IPO, while rival Stitch Fix is sinking, obviously, today, 22% to a 52-week low on its own disappointing guidance. That's also dragging down Rent the Runway into this report. Courtney Reagan is here, Court. Uh, Tough, I mean, I don't know. You could say maybe at least they've lowered the bar a little. 
Yeah, you know, obviously Rent the Runway sort of owns the rental space in many regards, but I think that big question mark is the total addressable market now, especially as the world has really changed post-pandemic. So I think what we're going to really be wanting to hear from the executives is what they think it looks like right now with women interested in renting more high-end clothing to go back out of the house, go to meetings, go to special events, go into the workplace, and then what that means for growth going forward. So this company, of course, has been one of these hyper growth names. It has a lot of potential, but now it's a show me story. It's very capital intensive with all of the inventory, with the logistics to ship out the items, to clean the items, to store the items. And so the path to profitability could be several years. The potential is there, but can they do it? And Kelly, to your point about Stitch Fix, when you have other names in this space that are if not similar, at least sort of these e-commerce players that have these innovative ideas and apparel, but still aren't really gaining the attention of investors. It just makes the road a little harder for a name like Rent the Runway. Delano, for Rent the Runway or Stitch Fix, would you be a buyer here? Um, and not a buyer here. So uh, if you're looking at Rent the Runway, there's still five times sales. And Courtney was just mentioning a lot of the headwinds that are at stake right now. You're, you're talking about, you know, returns, damages, fulfillment. All those costs play a part. Uh, for a company that's trying to get to profitability. Um, and you mentioned they were hit hard during the pandemic. And, and, and as Courtney mentioned, a lot of it is because the, po the possible addressable market could have shrank uh, just because we're seeing you know, a change in what consumers want when we're talking about items that are going to be possibly reused or rented uh, for a short period of time. And we saw we've changed a lot of our habits. So you know, those are the negative side. And the positive side, you see a lot of customer engagement. So 83 times out of the year, their customers use and rent they're close, so that's the positive. But I think you know you want to look at that valuation a little bit better, cheaper on my end before I would get into the stock, Kelly. And Courtney, they're all still experimenting with their business model. Stitch Fix now has, I think, Freestyle, and they're trying to get more people involved with that direct uh, buying experience. Absolutely, and Rent the Runway, Kelly, to your point, just sort of changed its subscription from the unlimited to a set number of items, which, of course, did help it with that uh, that unit cost per item, which is good, although angering some customers that were pretty heavy, heavy users of it, just anecdotally from what I've heard. But the models really are constantly in flux, and it's interesting. You've got Morgan Stanley saying they're comparing sort of Rent the Runway to a Peloton or a Match Group or a Spotify because it has to do with this subscriber growth. And they're saying, look, Rent the Runway is going to have higher revenue opportunities for growth, but potentially lower profitability. So sometimes it's also plopped into a comparative bu bucket with some other non-retail players but that, that are subscription-based. And regardless at five times sales, it's a pretty you know, eye-watering valuation. Uh, Court, we appreciate it. Thank you. Be sure to catch Rent the Runway CEO Jennifer Hyman on Squawk Box tomorrow at 7.15 a.m. Eastern Time, and she will go over these results. Finally today, food giant Hormel is reporting before the bell tomorrow with investors looking for clues on inflation and labor. Short, uh, shares of Hormel down 9% this year and zero analysts on the street have a buy rating on this stock. We, we, Dom, did you beg to do this, to give us the story here? I, I want to give you the story because <laughs> because earlier this summer, the, the team at the News with Shepard Smith asked me to help them tell a story about spam. And so I felt a connection to Hormel and this story overall. But to your point, you just noted that no analysts have a buy rating. I mean, there's probably a reason why. If you take a look at the price action over the course of the last couple of years, this is a stock, a company that is maybe struggling to find an identity with investors or vice versa. In the 
reason why I point that out is because is it a pandemic play or is it not? You'd think that with a consumer staple company that makes packaged goods, they should have done really well, or at least the stock should have had a good story to tell during the pandemic. And yes, it did for the first maybe couple of months, but it's been kind of drifting slower and lower ever since then. So is it a pandemic play? Is it not? The other thing I would point out is you mentioned inflation and labor costs. Those are going to be huge to listen for with regard to how they impact the results there. Now, the overall numbers that you're going to be looking for, Kelly, are 50 cents a share in earnings on roughly $3.2 billion worth of total revenues. Now, I will also point out that the way that the options market is trading right now, it's implying what could be a move of 4% up or down in this stock. Hmm. And I, I would also point out that one other company that you want to watch that recently reported its results is Campbell Soup. Mm. They're not exactly the same, but the price action on the charts has been similar. So it's certainly something to watch, Kel. And Delano, to that point, the real question with a company like Hormel is if they have if they're strong enough in terms of their brands to have as much pricing power as some of their bigger staples rivals. So would you be a buyer of the stock here? So, so I would agree with some of the analysts on the street. Not a buyer, but maybe a hold, because as Don mentioned, a lot of those same headwinds are still at play. You're taking that labor availability, you're looking at supply chain disruptions, input costs. Those are going to be at play for a lot of these manufacturers. And also, if you're looking at Hormel, that brand is a big thing. I know they did what was a great move, I think, in my mind, acquisition of planters to kind of diversify their snack portfolio on that side. But I think it's more of a defensive play because you're having a dividend here. You're not seeing much price appreciation as a consumer staple. But for investors that are holding, it might be a small pocket to play for a dividend and to look for more growth on the upside there, Kelly. Yeah, I guess we could say, Dom, even since the pandemic lows, they've been remarkably stable. Absolutely. As stable as their shelf-stable protein, <laughs> Spam, I will note there. I, I also, I, by the way, Kelly, you know which state consumes the most Spam per capita of anybody else in the country? No. It's Hawaii. <laughs> go, go watch it. I just tweeted out the segment, by the way, as we were on it. I, I tweeted it out. Watch the segment from the news on, with Shepard Smith. It was a fun, a fun story about Spam. It's like, I don't have anything against Spam. I just don't spend a lot of time thinking about they it. They can put them in the tacos other. now. They can put them in tacos now, too. <laughs> You're going to give them growth all by yourself, Dom. Thank you very much, Dom Chu. Delano, thank you very much today as well for our trades. Delano Sapporo of New Street. Coming up, the head of Instagram speaking before Congress today on protecting children online. This says the parent company Meta is facing a mass leadership exodus. We're going to look at the challenges the company is facing on multiple fronts right after this. Welcome back. The head of Instagram is set to testify on Capitol Hill in about an hour, the day after the social media company announced new security measures aimed at teens. It comes as executives en masse have been leaving parent company Meta, formerly Facebook. Julia Borston joins us now with a look at this brain drain. Julia? Well, Adam Mosseri will be grilled by the same Senate subcommittee that interviewed whistleblower Francis Haugen, and that is starting in less than an hour now. Now, Mosseri can expect bipartisan criticism about Instagram's negative impact on teens. Just yesterday, Instagram announced product updates to better protect teens and some new parental controls that are set to launch early next year. But those updates seem to further infuriate Senator Marsha Blackburn. Her prepared remarks say that the product updates are, quote, too little too late and that it is time to pass a national consumer privacy bill and kids specific legislation. Mosseri will be in the hot seat as a number of other senior meta executives leave their seats. 
Just yesterday, head of Messenger Stan Chudnovsky and Julian Cordenu, he's VP of Workplace, announced their departures. This comes after Meta's digital currency lead, David Marcus, announced his departure last week. Chief Technology Officer Mike Schreffer, he's stepping down at the end of this year. And then head of Facebook app, BG Simo, and ad chief Carolyn Everson, they both left earlier this year for Instacart. Meta responding that because of the company's size, churn is normal, telling us we're proud to have added more than 10,000 employees in 2021 alone and to continue having a strong bench of leaders across the company that will drive our business forward. Of course, an executive exodus and regulatory overhang does not seem to have hurt Facebook stock, but the tech giant is facing a number of challenges all at once. Kelly? It's going to be quite a contrast, Julia, because the crypto hearing, you actually saw lawmakers being somewhat inquisitive and curious and kind of open to learning from the executives, maybe maybe giving them the benefit of the doubt on, on some of this. I just don't think that's going to be the tone of the Instagram hearing at all. I mean, I can't imagine it's going to be anything but more or less pure attack mode. Well, I think it'll be attack mode, but I hope it will be focused on solutions. That's the thing that both Blackburn and Blumenthal have said is that they want it to be solution oriented. They want to figure out what type of legislation could help protect teens in particular. I think it's really meaningful that this is the same committee that grilled Frances Haugen. She hmm. revealed so much about what's going on with Facebook and teens. This is a committee that is now educated on that topic. And I think there is there is a sense that they really want to figure out what they could do next to try to try to protect teens going forward and hopefully protect teens not just on Instagram, but on all sorts of different apps. Yeah, great point, Julia. Thank you very much, Julia Borson. Again, that starts in just about an hour's time. Speaking of brain drain, like we were talking about at Facebook, a new report today shows that U.S. job openings surged in October by 431,000 to 11 million. 11 million job openings. That's the second highest number on record. The number of openings exceeds those looking for jobs by 3.6 million people. The number of workers leaving their jobs also slowed down, with quitters dropping by nearly 5% to 4.1 million. Up next, executives from crypto exchanges and issuers testifying on Capitol Hill today. And CNBC has been investigating a dispute at one of those companies with millions of dollars on the line. We'll tell you about it next. Remember, you can catch this show anytime, anywhere by listening to and following The Exchange Podcast. And you can check out our new podcast, Conversations with Kelly. Five minutes. Sometimes it just isn't enough to take a deep dive into issues like the energy transition, the metaverse. That one's up today rates and much more so you can go ahead to the podcast at cnbc the exchange for those conversations and more wherever you get your podcasts we're back in a moment welcome back cryptocurrencies climbing today as execs testify on capitol hill our kate rooney has been monitoring it for us and she joins us now so far with the headlines and takeaways kate hey kelly yeah this has been a big milestone for the cryptocurrency industry with its first dedicated hearing on capitol hill six of the biggest executives in digital assets have been testifying for the last few hours now, and the questioning from lawmakers has gone a lot deeper than just Bitcoin. There's talk of blockchain being the next wave of the internet, known as Web3. There have also been some warnings, mostly from Republican lawmakers, not to clamp down too hard and stifle innovation. Some Democrats, including Congressman Brad Sherman, though, calling out the consumer risks, as well as one notable crypto executive who was not in the room today. Brian Armstrong, sin is number two. And Tether doesn't bother to show up at all. Zuckerberg did not have a day in the park. He did not enjoy it, but he had to come. 
Armstrong didn't, and Tether ain't here at all. Referring there to the stablecoin Tether and then Coinbase CEO Brian Armstrong, Alicia Haas is there in person today. She's the CFO of Coinbase Global and the CEO of a Coinbase subsidiary in the U.S. And that wasn't the only nod to Zuckerberg and Facebook, despite big tech not being in the room either. There have been multiple mentions of Meta and Facebook's digital wallet, but it's not as hostile as some of the big tech hearings we've seen before. There's been debates over stable coins and threats to U.S. dollar dominance. Also talk of global competition and potential for talent to flee overseas if Congress does clamp down too hard, as some describe it. Also debates over regulatory clarity. Finally, House members are still focused on recent hacks and cybersecurity. Kelly. At least the little snippets that I saw, it was, you know, I used this word earlier, but it, it seemed kind of genuinely inquisitive. Did it get a little bit more hard-edged during other moments, or what did you make of the tone of the whole thing? The tone to me, I thought the same thing, Kelly. It really was genuine curiosity from a lot of the lawmakers, and they do seem to have really educated themselves on things like Web3 and uh, really did seem to be genuinely asking some of these questions. It depends on who the lawmaker was. There were some that came out pretty strong and uh, called out certain executives, called out potential hacks, and sort of cited some of the risk. But the big theme from the crypto industry has really been, you guys have described us as the Wild West. We're not. Here are some of the ways that we are regulated. And we're regulated in some cases like the banks here. So it has been, I think, a pretty constructive debate a lot of fact-finding, but the big question going forward, will this actually result in any changes, any bills, and any legislation? And it's not, they wouldn't have any bearing on what the SEC does, or would they? Because it seems like that's the agency that probably has the most significant response. Piecemeal so far has been their approach. Hester keeps pushing them to do something more broad, but that's really the, the space to watch, don't you think? Yeah, and there actually has been some criticism of Gary Gensler. Uh, one of the lawmakers called out the idea that the, the way that people list securities is still a little bit unclear, and they said that that could use an update. So he has been called out by name. Uh, Brian Brooks, who was the former head of the OCC, is actually probably getting the most airtime here. He's a former <laughs> regulator. He does seem to have a, a good rapport with some of the lawmakers, and he really has been talking the most and answering the most questions here. His big point is that stable coins are a good thing for the U.S. dollar. But yeah, he has gotten a lot of the questioning today. All right, and hopefully we'll talk to Circle next hour. Kate, thank you very, very much. Kate Rooney monitoring this for us today. And with the execs on the Hill, CNBC has meantime been looking into a new dispute between Coinbase and a big group of its customers, and there are millions of dollars at stake. Eamon Javers has those details. Eamon? Kelly, good to see you. The Coinbase customers here are circulating a petition and organizing on Facebook, and they're demanding that the crypto exchange make them whole in the wake of an incident that happened back in mid-November. The investors put money into a stablecoin called GYEN, which began trading on Coinbase's exchange back on November 10th. But although that coin is supposed to stay at a price that's fixed to the Japanese yen, somehow it became untethered to the peg for Coinbase customers, causing a sharp spike and a sharp decline you see there in a price that was supposed to be stable across the board. Now suddenly Coinbase customers tell us they were seeing account statements that just didn't make any sense. Then Coinbase froze their accounts. And that's what's driven some of these customers absolutely nuts, because the freeze locked in large losses for many of those who were affected. In an email to customers ob obtained by CNBC, Coinbase wrote, quote, 
We apologize for this. We know this is a significant inconvenience, and we're working as quickly as possible to correct this to ensure that customers impacted can access funds as soon as possible. And Coinbase told us it's going to have a blog post out soon that's going to explain exactly what happened here. But the customers are angry that their accounts are frozen. They've not received any compensation. We talked to Ricky Peacock. He's a Coinbase customer in Florida, and he told us once Coinbase realized they had made a mistake, they locked everyone else to protect themselves. So it's not clear how many people were affected by all of this, but Chainalysis, the analysis firm, says there were hundreds of millions of dollars in volume traded during the affected days. Some customers may have been able to sell at enormous profit, and so it's unclear what's going to become of those gains. Coinbase said its team is working around the clock to restore full trading. Whatever they do here could really set a precedent. Also, was it only on their platform that the price of GN cha changed that much? Yeah, it was just for Coinbase users. So you saw that at some point, about 84% of all the volume uh, in that particular stablecoin was being done on Coinbase. So you saw this huge spike in activity. Uh, the Coinbase users said they saw these results coming up in their accounts that just didn't make any sense. Yeah. You know, hundreds of times off what they had purchased. And for some people we talked to, you know, they're talking about tens of thousands of dollars in losses. This is small change for some, but not small change for everybody. Uh, people are really angry and they want some answers. And whether it's Robinhood or any of these new platforms, being locked out is the number one rage issue with customers. So yeah. it's a very difficult issue that they all still have yet to solve. You know solve. who's being really quiet about this, though? The people who are locked out who maybe had those huge gains. Exactly. Right? You don't hear from them. <laughs> they would have liked to take those and run with them. Exactly. Right. Eamon, thank you very much. We'll you see bet. you soon. Eamon yep. Jabbers. The divergence between fitness stocks is growing as Omicron concerns persist. The direction may surprise you, and we will show you that next. Welcome back. Concerns about vaccination, protection against the Omicron variant, throwing cold water on this week's monster rally. And the widening rift between the at-home fitness stocks versus the gyms is not playing out exactly how you might expect. Diana Olick is here with a check on those names for us. Diana? Yeah, Kelly, believe it or not, return to the gym may be about to set some new records. But what does that mean for the stay-at-home stocks? Take a look. Shares of Peloton down year-to-date as they've seen demand fall off and recently slash their full-year outlook. Peloton saw huge growth during the first year of the pandemic and invested heavily acquiring Precore. Now, another home name not doing so well, Beachbody. It was recently downgraded by several analysts after disappointing earnings and reduced guidance. Demand for home fitness equipment, though, has slowed, but it's it's still growing. Sales were up 20% year over year through August. Of course, not the 108% growth seen since 2019, all that according to NPD Group. Consumers are heading back to the gym, and that's why we're seeing names like Planet Fitness, Lifetime Holdings, and Exponential in the green over the past few months. Gym visits in October were only down 8% from October 2019, pre-pandemic, according to Jeffries. Analyst Randy Koenig there told me he expects to see Planet Fitness see record membership in the first quarter with average unit volumes exceeding 2019 peaks. He points to unusual membership growth in the second and third quarter of this year. Usually the first quarter is the big one with all the New Year's resolutions. We don't see that, Kelly, so much over the summer and fall. Diana, bring us up to speed on the current Olick workout. Are you are you 100% at home? What's, I mean, you always kind of work. I am not returning to the gym. But, but look, I never was at the gym, so I am not the person to talk to. I tricked out my home gym. I love it. I go across all all companies of fitness equipment, but no, I will not go to the gym, but I never did. Exactly. You've got the turf. You need to do an up, uh, a refresh on all that for the viewers who want to replicate it. Diana, thank you so much today. We appreciate it. Diana Olek. That does it for The Exchange, everybody. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place.
How do you land your dream job? It starts by acing the interview. Learn exactly what hiring managers are looking for with CNBC Make It's new career-boosting online course. Get the limited-time offer. Register now at cnbcmakeit.com slash courses.